Thanks for joining us. This is the second part of a short teaching series called God Has Spoken, where we look at the story of the Bible and ask how that story can still speak to us today. This message was shared at Trinity Church last Sunday, which was the 21st of November, 2021. So we began uh, last Sunday and sharing two verses from the book of Hebrews. Uh, which was a letter written to the members of the first century church. And this is how those verses go. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. So this is the New Testament church looking back into their history as the nation of Israel. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So the writers there are saying God's spoken to us in lots of different ways in the past, but the most perfect way that God has ever communicated to us is by sending his son. And we find so many of these ways that God has spoken, including the way he's spoken through his son in this book that we have today that we call the Bible. And it's an inspired book. We look briefly into 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. We looked a little bit about how the Bible came together uh, over over the years. And we see that when we read the Bible, we see God acting in history. We look ahead and see what is to come. We have a greater understanding of God's character. We understand better what his purpose is for our lives. It encourages us, comforts us, exhorts us, and informs us about both spiritual and practical things that we need for our day-to-day lives. And last week, we then began a short tour through the story of the Bible, uh, which I am continuing Today, So we started looking at the beginning of Genesis and saw that God created everything and that everything he made was good. In fact, he said it was very good and it was and it is. We also saw saw sin entering the story, which before long spread like a pandemic around the world. And before long, violence and injustice just became a normal part of human existence. Uh, We touched briefly on a new beginning in Noah. And then a new beginning in Abraham, who became the father of the nation of Israel. And so today we're going to pick up the story, talking a little bit more about Abraham, and then going on to talk about two key players in the Old Testament, uh, Moses and David. So Abraham, we had a great discussion about Abraham at men's group yesterday morning. eh? That was just absolutely awesome. I really, really enjoyed that. In particular, the story about we were looking at the story of him taking Isaac up the mountain and and the way that Abraham had such faith and trust in God that even if his son died, that God would raise him back to life because the promise was invested in the son. Just a great, just a great discussion. So we see Abraham, a man who was had a promise that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth, the sand on the beach, or the stars in the sky, and that through him, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. So he had this magnificent promise. His descendants were going to be blessed. There were going to be heaps of them, like the dust, or like the sand at the beach. Who's counted all the grains of the sand, even at one beach? Just so many, it's impossible. Even a handful of sand, it'd be hard to count. Or like the stars in the sky. How do you count that? That he was going to have this huge family. This nation was going to come forth from him. And that through him, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. But there was a little sticking point. 
that he had no family. He had no kids. He didn't have one. And he was getting older and older and older and older. It was just him and Sarah, their flocks and some servants. And he was getting very old indeed. And yet he was carrying this promise. What do you do when you are carrying a sense of promise from God and yet your circumstances are telling you a very different story? And Abraham was convinced, and we read in Romans 4, a New Testament perspective on Abraham in that situation. It says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. <laughs> it's a pretty serious situation to be in, isn't it? He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is such a good message right in there that when we face challenges in life and God says, do not fear, it'll be okay, I'm with you. We can trust that, we can trust God no matter what we're going through. And the story in Genesis uh, 21 says, it puts it like this, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, she added. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What an encouraging thought that is, that when God promises something, he delivers. His words are not empty. His words are not like a cloud that never rains. There are some days when you think your garden needs some rain and the clouds come over and there's a few spits and spots and you kind of feel like there's been some rain, but actually when you look at the ground, it's still dry like dust. It was just clouds that just didn't let any rain fall. And God's promises are not like that. When God promises a thing, He delivers. He has the power to deliver and He has the purpose to deliver. And that is, a, to me, a very, very encouraging thought. It might look impossible to us. It might look impossible to others. But it is not impossible to God because there is nothing that is too hard for God. And this man of faith carried the promise that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he promised, and he had passed that promise down in a sense to his son Isaac. So here's Abraham, 100 years old, body's good as dead, but somehow by a miracle had a son. And that promise now is invested in young Isaac. He is now the beginning of this family that was to come. Uh, and that promise passed down through the generations until it began to really find its fulfillment in Christ. Galatians 3.16, got a few scriptures. This is a teachy session today. Galatians 3.16, Paul says this, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And Paul points out here, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, 
but to end your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And the intention, even though the people of Israel were called to reach out to, and, and bring the knowledge of God to the, to the nations around and about, what Paul is saying here is that God knew from the beginning that the promise was only going to be really fulfilled in Christ, into Abraham's seed. And so it was done. And today, look around. We see millions upon millions upon millions of people around the world being blessed as they put their faith and their trust in Christ. And the promise continues to be fulfilled day after day after day after day, and we ain't seen nothing yet. Isaac grew up, had two sons, uh, Esau and Jacob. And then one of those boys had 12 sons. Jacob had 12 sons, and it was from them that the 12 tribes of Israel came. 12 sons, all had families, all kind of had kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and so on and so forth, and they became the nation of Israel. And the promise was still alive inside of them. And when they were just a small family, just, just Jacob and his kids and and their wives and some children, but they were just a small little family and some herds and some flocks and some servants. There was a famine in the land of Canaan, there was a, in the land of promise, which God had promised to them. There was a famine there, there was just nothing to eat, and they were getting desperate, and they heard that there was food down in Egypt. And the backstory is that God had sent, in an unusual way, one of Jacob's sons down there to prepare the way to save a lot of lives. And so they heard there was food down in Egypt. And in Genesis 46, 3 to 4, this is God turning up and speaking to Jacob. And he said this, I'm the God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. So he said to Jacob, it's okay. It might seem freaky to leave your comfort zone. But it's okay to go down to Egypt because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to create uh, you as a great nation in that place. And then I'm going to bring you back into the land of Canaan, into the land of promise. So the little family moved down to Egypt and they began to prosper there. And that's where basically the story of Genesis comes to an end. You could almost imagine at that point the story would end and they all lived happily ever after. Uh, But life rarely works out as smoothly and easily as we would like. Uh, And so it was for the people of Israel. They had all sorts of challenges in the journey along the way. The people did begin to multiply, uh, as God had said, and they grew into a great nation inside the land of Egypt. But the pharaohs were intimidated by this nation that was growing up within them. And so they put them to forced labor, and they made them as slaves, and they made their life difficult. They beat them up and expected them to work hard from dawn to dusk. At times, they, they, they forced them to throw their sons into the Nile so that they would perish. It was difficult days. It started off wonderful. They were being looked after. It was really nice. They were prospering. Everyone loved them. And then things started to turn around, and they were turned into a nation of slaves. And it was that way for generation after generation for 400 long years you would think, well, where's the promise gone now? I mean, I mean, not only the promise that they were going to be blessed 
and be a blessing. But what even about the promise where God had said, I'll take you down there and then I'll bring you back? Well, it's 400 years, God. (laughs) Where's the bringing back? We're stuck as slaves. We'd like to get out of here, but we can't. Where's the promise gone? But as the story goes on, we see that God is always faithful to his promises. He works things out in his own time, and therefore we can afford to put our trust in him. The promise was alive. It wasn't visible. It was like seed in the ground that seemed to have died, but it was just waiting to germinate and to sprout and to bring forth life. And after 400 years, God raised up the next character we want to look at, and that's Moses. He'd lived for 40 years in Egypt, most of that time, uh, brought up in the palace in a place of great privilege, And then he had another 40 years living in the wilderness, living in obscurity as an outlaw because he killed somebody uh, while he was down there in Egypt. And when I guess he thought his life was coming to an end, he's old now, he's 80. And uh, apologies to anyone who's 80 to to call you old, but I guess he felt like he was old because he was 80. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like time to lie down and, and have a big sleep, really. Uh, when you're 80 years old, maybe. But God gave him a new beginning, even when he thought his life was over. And God spoke to him out of a burning bush. He was walking along one day, and he sees a bush that was, looked like it was a light. But yet the bush wasn't being consumed up. It wasn't turning to charcoal or ash. It was burning, but it was still fresh and green. And Moses thought, that's mighty unusual. I want to get a little closer to that and have a better look, as you would. And so he went over and God spoke to him out of the burning bush. And his life was never quite the same after that. God called him out of the burning bush to go to Pharaoh and announce, Pharaoh, it's time to let my people go. It is time for the promise that I made to Jacob to be fulfilled, that I'm now going to bring my people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and I'm going to take them into the land of promise. And so after a lot of drama, and there was a lot of drama, Pharaoh eventually, reluctantly, temporarily agreed to let the people go. And the people left Egypt and began their journey to the promised land. And it took them 40 years to get through the wilderness. It was actually quite a short journey, but sometimes we go the long way around in life. I don't know if you've ever gone the long way around, around a situation, but uh, uh, sometimes I think I've gone the long way around. You learn some stuff on the journey and sometimes some things you need. But they went the long way around and it took them 40 years to get through the wilderness. And it was while they were in the wilderness that something really significant happened. And it was early on in the piece uh, where God called Moses up Mount Sinai. And while he was up Mount Sinai, God downloaded him, downloaded to him what we call the Mosaic Law. It was all the rules and regulations to govern this nation because they were now not just going to be living as slaves. They were going to be going and governing themselves in the land that God had called them to. And so they were given a framework in which to live, uh, the Mosaic Law. And, And there was lots of stuff inside of there. There was... Uh, you know, how to make sacrifices down to civil laws. It, was, it governed really every part of their life. Uh, and it was downloaded to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai. And the whole story really of what happened in the wilderness and the Mosaic law is recorded 
in the books that follow Genesis, and that's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books that are normally called the Pentateuch. And by the end of Deuteronomy, they come to the edge of the promised land. And they're standing there, the River Jordan in front of them, and their future on the other side. And this law that they were given was something that they always struggled to keep with any consistency. They had lots of rules, lots of laws governing every part of their life, but they really struggled to keep it with any consistency at all. And yet it was somehow, it was like their, their society and their future seemed to hinge on their obedience to the law, and yet they struggled with that so much. And it's kind of interesting that I think that one of the key things we actually learn from the law is that external rules are never able to bring true internal transformation. Just surrounding yourself with rules doesn't transform the inner person. And in fact, in Romans 7, Paul argues that even though the Mosaic law was good, it had the tendency to make things worse instead of better. It actually, having the, all of these rules actually provoked them to sin. This is what he says in Romans 7, 7 to 8. Uh, Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. And it was like they, it was like, you know, like sometimes when you're surrounded by rules, you just, you know, you know there's a tendency to break out from them. And they just didn't have the internal work of the Spirit in their lives to bring in a transformation. They just had rules to follow. And so the New Testament argues that the law was good, but it was not working for them and it was never intended to work because God had a better plan that unfolded in Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians 3, 23 to 25, before the coming of this faith, the faith that we have in Christ, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So he was saying, so we had the law, and in so many ways, even though the law was good, it made us worse. And our people were never able to keep that law with any consistency. But God had a better plan, and that was something that he was going to do through Christ. The law came through Moses, John says, but grace and truth came through Christ. And he says that now that this faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. We're no longer under the guardian of the law. And so now things like forgiveness of sin or internal change or personal connection with God, these things don't come through the keeping of a law, but they come through Christ. They come through Christ himself. Of course, there are things inside the law that we still hold to. For instance, here's a classic. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, part of the law. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Jesus says that's the most important thing that was ever said inside the Old Testament. And he said the second commandment is like it, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourselves. So there are parts of the law that we would still hold to today, but there are other parts 
that I don't think we're obliged to follow, like animal sacrifices. I don't know if any of you guys have... You farmers have sacrificed a few animals, probably. <laughs> we haven't sacrificed them, but they have died in the course of your business. But, but they're not animal sacrifices to find favor with God or to get forgiveness. We don't have to pile up a lot of carcasses to do that. And uh, we've left behind concepts like stoning people to death when they misbehave, stuff like that. So there are things in the law that we carry through, but there are things that we leave behind as well. And really to figure out what we keep and what we leave behind, that's where we really need the New Testament to help us decipher how we handle the law. So uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a little bit of a, a challenge, which I guess doesn't do us any harm. But for the people of Israel, following the law was crucial to their well-being. And after being led by Moses for 40 years in the desert, the people entered the land of promise. By now, Joshua was their leader. And you can read about that in the very next book, sixth book of the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Joshua, their leader. And under his leadership, they began to settle the land. Lots of battles, lots of victories. And a good smattering of mistakes along the way as well, which sometimes might sound a bit like our lives. Uh, but they had their ups and downs. And as we read through the, 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 the books after that, we read their history being chronicled. The book of Joshua, of course, uh, them entering into the land. The book of Judges was a time that was described as a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They'd come into this new land, but they didn't really have any particular form of government. Um, and they would just do what was right in their own eyes. They'd get themselves in a whole lot of trouble. They'd start worshipping idols. Things would go really badly wrong. Their enemies would start invading. And then God would raise up a leader that they called like the judges. God would raise up someone to lead them and to get them back on the right path. And things would go well for a while. And then they would go back again. And everyone would do what was right in their own eyes. And they'd go through this cycle all the way through the book of Judges and probably, in a, in a sense, all the way through their history uh, until we come to the point of the New Testament. Um, there was also the book of Ruth that's thrown in at that point, the story of a young woman from Moab who became part of their story. And then the next books are First and Second Samuel, and we come to the end of our message around, uh, around these. This now is around about 400 years after Moses, I guess, something like that. And we see the high point, really, of Israel's history when a, when a young guy called David is installed as the king. And David was a young guy who no one thought a whole lot of. He didn't come from this kind of you know, great family and he didn't have great physical stature and stuff like that that people would take notice of him. But he was someone that God chose because as God himself says, that God doesn't look at outward appearance like people do. He looks at the heart and he saw something in David. He thought, this guy is going to do what I want him to do. And so I want him to be the king. And he chose David to be the king. And, and through some trials and tribulations, David became the leader of the nation. And under his leadership was really the high point of, of, of the Old Testament for the people of Israel. David established a foundation of worship. He brought the ark uh, back into Jerusalem and set up a tent there. And, and, and organized singers and musicians. And, and so worship was central 
to the kingdom in those days. And he also laid a foundation of honoring God's word. And, and, and he took those two things, the, 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 a life of worship and a life of honoring God's word. And under that kind of leadership, the nation really prospered. And they actually became a dominant force in their part of the world. After David had come and gone, things slid downhill. And we're not going to read too much about that. But as things slid downhill, the nation just went through some difficult times. They had periods where they reverted back to idol worship. And things just weren't going well for them. And many people were looking to the words of the prophets that God was going to raise up another king for them like David. In Isaiah 11, 1 to 5, here's a prophecy from Isaiah who spoke in that era. And he said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. And he said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or he will not decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness would be his belt and faithfulness. The slash, the slash, <laughs> the sash. Slash was a, he was a guitarist, wasn't he? The, the, the sash around his waist. And that's an Old Testament prophecy. And people were saying like, whoa, the best times that we ever had was under King David. We was worship and we were honoring the word and things were going really well. And we were blessed as a nation. We had our ups and downs. Sure, that's life. But this was, this was, this was, the, they were the days. They were the good old days. And, uh, and, and then Isaiah's prophesying that someone's going to come like a, like a descendant of David or like someone coming from the, the root of Jesse. Someone's going to come like David and better David are going to come. And I, I like that scripture so much, I'm just going to read it again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is talking obviously about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and of counsel and of might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And this is what it says about him. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And when Jesus came, he came with these credentials. I just got three quick scriptures to share about that from the book of Matthew. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. First words of the New Testament. Matthew starts, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Right there, those credentials are established that he's, he's, the, he's the son of Abraham. He's the one in whom the promise will be fulfilled that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he's the son of David to bring back the good days. And he's the one who is going to, 
uh, judge the needy with justice and give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he's the one who's going to put away uh, evil out of the land. And righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his wet waist. And, he is, and in the first verse of the New Testament, his credentials in relation to David and Abraham are established. Matthew 12, when he's beginning to minister, 22 to 23, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Could this be the one that we've been wanting, expecting, praying for, hoping for, who is going to bring change? Is this the one that we've read about? In the 11th chapter of Isaiah, could it be? <laughs> They're saying, and they were hoping it was. And by the time you get to Matthew 21, 8 to 9, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem shortly before he was crucified, it says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus, the son of God, had come. Fulfilling the promise to Abraham to bless all nations. And coming as David's descendant as a king to help the needy and to judge the wicked. And he's now included us 2,000 years later inside of his story. And we have been blessed. And we are called to be a blessing. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the story of Abraham that tells us you can be trusted no matter what. And we thank you for the story of Moses that reminds us that real change doesn't come from just external rules, but the working of your spirit on the inside of our lives. And we thank you for David reminding us that a king has come with a heart to help those in need and the one who will eventually deal with all the problems of evil and make everything new in Jesus' name. Amen.